Hello, ako si Das Gavilan. Kayo ay nakikinig sa bagong Rappler Podcast episode kung saan hihimayin natin ang mga maiinit at mahalagang isyu sa Pilipinas. Ito ang Rappler's News Break Beyond the Stories. Isa sa last two episodes for 2020 ang episode na ito kung saan babalikan natin ang mga malalaking isyu sa ilalim ni Pangulong Rodrigo Duterte. Una nating tatalakayin ay ang matinding atake sa desen, mga pag-aresto sa mga aktivista at ang patuloy ng mga patayan na nangyari nitong 2020. Habang may pandemya, patuloy pa rin ang pagtapak sa karapatang pantao ng mga Pilipino. Kasama ko ngayon si Lilian Buan, ang Justice Reporter na Rappler, at si Rambo Talabong, ang Police Reporter na Rappler, para pag-usapan ng mga nangyari nitong 2020 at kung ano ang dapat nating bantayan sa bagong taon. Hi Rambo and Lian. thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the invite, Judas. Thank you, Judas. So, napakahaba ng taon na to, no? And I'm sure kasing haba rin yun yung maging episode natin today. Lian, you cover the justice beat, Rambo. You cover the police, crime, defense, uh, mm-hmm. drug war. Parang perhaps this year, or even the beginning of the Duterte administration, napaka-busy ng bits na to. Parang napakalami nangyayari. Siguro, focus tayo on 2020. Through the lens of your beats, yung mga nangyari uh, sa beats ninyo, sa justice, sa crime, sa police. How would you describe 2020? Mauna muna yung mas bata, Rambo. <laughs> Grabe talaga. 2020 has been described with so many words already as in unprecedented. Nothing has been like this. Um, I guess for me, wala na ako maisip ngayong oras na ito, Julia. It's intense. It's, it's completely intense. It started with the eruption of the of a volcano, tapos lockdown, pandemic, human rights violations. In my beat, it really is a matter of covering the lockdowns and the alleged human rights violations that happened under the lockdowns and how the drug war continued under the pandemic where hundreds of people continue to be killed under the pandemic. And uh, we're seeing a lot of aggressive activists despite them having peaceful protests and we we saw the rise of a very controversial general in the Philippine National Police the both seen us so it's pretty intense uh, Lian? for me 2020 can be looked at the lens of there's no other lens to look at it um b- besides the lens of the pandemic when you talk about the crackdown on dissent crackdown on activism and you compare that to the global crisis of the pandemic much more so in a third world country such as ours you would really question why resources were put in to crack down on dissent and on the activists and of course the law enforcement agencies the justice agencies would tell you you know coronavirus cannot stop us from enforcing our laws and that's what they say when activists are are arrested for allegedly possessing illegal firearms and possessing grenades pero titingnan mo rin siya sa rhetoric ng mismong justice secretary eh. nalatandaan ko tumatak talaga sa utak ko when we were asking about why senator Coco Pimentel was not subjected to the same interpretation of a warrantless arrest in the time of the pandemic when he breached quarantine at Makati Med. The Justice Secretary said, you know, we have to temper the rigors of the law with human compassion. And when he said that, sa utak ko, tama, tama naman. We have to temper the rigors of the law with human compassion, lalo na sa pandemic na to. But why is there double standard? I think 
if you were to ask me what was glaring in 2020, it really was double standard. So, parang 2020 was that year. Parang, like, kunyari sa generation natin, 2020 was that year. Pero if you put in the context of the Duterte term since 2016, where would you place in 2020? Siguro compare mo sa last year or during the beginning of first term, parang nafe-feel yung may gradual na lala ng sitwasyon in terms of dissent, activism, human rights, crime? For me, for me, yes. Because dun sa crackdown on dissent, um, when we talk about the weaponization of the law, we could see that it has reached um, the most ordinary men and women. We saw the crackdown beginning 2016 with Senator Laila de Lima, and then um, lawyers would argue it was also used with Chief Justice Sereno, and then journalists, and then Senator Antonio Trillanes. And then you'd see activists, a virtually a non-activist like Reina May Nacino. Um, Amanda Echanis, whose only claim to prominence is she is the daughter of Randall Echanis. And then you, if you remember um, the yung mga vendors sa Aklan, yung salesman sa Butuan, na, and the teacher in Zambales, these people were arrested on an interpretation of the law that the Duterte government had to stick with to para palindigan nila yung kanilang image na tough. We are gonna be tough in enforcing this pandemic. At para mapanindigan yun, sige, hupulihin natin. And this has extended to students who were subpoenaed just for being vocal on social media. And the 2,000, sometimes 3,000, and now stuck at 1,000, quarantine violators who languish in jail for months dahil pinaaresto sila ng administrasyong Duterte for violating RA11332 na hanggang ngayon hindi nga alam ng mga abogado ano ba yung interpretation nun. So, if you ask me, lumalaba, oo, kasi umabot yung crackdown sa mga maliliit na tao. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. Rambo? I think that the police, as they have been doing ever since the Tertiary Office, it's always been, how would you say this? It's a parallel. It's more of like them always in proportion with how emboldened the president is. They replicate it on the ground, how President Duterte gives very tough orders. They would certainly implement it as ferociously as the president had said it from his speech. Mm-hmm. A glaring case that I would raise here is the case of Winston Ragos, wherein President Duterte, a few days before his killing, just said that shoot quarantine violators dead if they fight back. And you have video surfacing of Winston Ragos being shot dead even before the police saw a gun out of his out of his sling bag mm-hmm. without seeing any apparent threat. He was shot down. The police was panicking. Of course, it's already up, up, up to the prosecutor, up to the courts to decide whether that was legal or not. But that case of, uh, there was a, some sort of a cause and effect in that, mm-hmm. wherein the president really um, said something very, very violent, shoot them down, and it was translated into, uh, into the pandemic's response, into policy, into people on the ground literally being shot down in broad daylight. So it's pretty telling. And I think there's the the continued movement towards the president and the Philippine National Police in that direction. 
we saw Philippine National Police Chief right now, Debod Sinas, despite violating quarantine lockdown rules, which is something that, as Lian said, has been intensely reminded of. of pe people by the thousands were arrested based on these quarantine violations. And you have the Philippine National Police Chief, who was then the National Capital Region Police Office Chief, documented with their own public information office violating quarantine rules. And he is afforded this compassion, this exceptionalism of people in the administration who are treated with so much favor. And compare that to the fate of Winston Ragos, where in law enforcement was so intense, where he was actually shot down and he was left to bleed if the ambulance came in and you have seen us enjoying his time right now in Camp Rane as the police chief. So there's this emboldenment in really enforcing the law, but also, as Lian mentioned earlier, which I completely agree, the emboldenment of the administration to be selective in how to apply the law. My God, Rambo, I almost forgot about Winston Ragos. And I think that's very sad because Ibig Sabihin, there have been so many other other things to be bothered with after Winston Ragos na nakalimutan na natin na meron palang isang schizophrenic. Was he Rambo, tama ba? Yes, yes, yes. Pero siya pinagdadaan ng mental illness. Yeah, we almost forgot that there was this man who was killed yeah. in broad daylight. And to think, Winston Ragos, uh, when that issue nang nangyari yan, yung parang nagbaka pagad yung military sa kanya. Pero nawala, parang I don't think na may development sa Kaso na yan, Rambo, no? Wala pa na insignificant? Yes, wala pa significant. Nasa prosecutor level pa lang siya. So parang imagine how about yung mga nakulong, gusto mag-file ng kaso dahil arbitrary arrested or na subject to police abuse. Wala silang parang kapangyarihan mag-file ng case against the police kasi alam nilang walang mangyayari sa kanila. So, I think, uh, gusto ko nang pumunta sa specifics. Siguro Rambo muna. Uh, ano yung coverage or issue na pinaka-tumatak sa iyo ngayong taon? Siguro, and then also, I wanted to ask, uh, if in the grand scheme of things, why does the specific issue na kinover mo or nangyari parang importante or why does it matter? Okay. For me, the coverage is that really stuck to me. I've mentioned already, it's the, the death of, of Winston Ragos. But another one that I'd also like to talk about is the death of Vincent Adia in Rizal on November 4. Mm. The sheer morbidity of it really shocked me. How even under intense lockdown, even when the police has deployed so many of its, of its personnel, where they are so proud of arresting so many quarantine violators, how they have hundreds of checkpoints across the country. This case happens where a man who hasn't even been put on trial on, uh, on, on drug charges, on robbery charges, is found by the pavement shot bleeding with a carton labeling him as a drug pusher and a robber. He survives, but then he is brought to the hospital. Hours later, he's shot dead. A gunman just comes in and shoots him twice again, and uh, that finally killed him. How much this is such a, a morbid case where when at the time the police is so proud of its law enforcement, where the president is so proud of being against, against criminals where the police should be in their prime because people are in their homes. Because mm -hmm. people who are believed to be committing crimes are in their homes where the police are so proud of saying that all crimes are in decline. But then there's this big 
blood clot in this in this picture that we're seeing in the pandemic this brutal death of Vincent Adia and there's a possible collusion of the police in this killing wherein he he actually said in his chat with one of his friends we spoke to he was afraid that he would be killed by the police and days days later lo and behold he was actually killed parang before i go to Leon and ask you naman yung thoughts niya parang po yung drug war this year parang if you compare it to at least yung mga discourse on the drug war hindi siya as highlighted this year parang compared to before na mas strong yung strong yung laban against it pero at the same time patuloy pa rin yung drug war uh, why do you think this is happening ano yung factors na nakikita mo Mm-hmm. Many factors that play here to this. Um, first, for the media, let's acknowledge that access is super limited right now. We're, we're really limited in uh, going to the communities, speaking with the police. And of course, there's the resistance from policemen to actually speak with us. Resistance from commanders to invite the media into operations as compared to before. This has been in decline ever since 2016. In 2016, lots of media personnel were really invited in operations but now that barely happens before there were at least reporters who were picked by by policemen to join them and from these reports for example radio reporters or tv reporters we would we would find an opening to investigate this time it's not that case anymore and of course the police as usual has not been releasing documents and has not been cooperating with independent probers the human rights um the human rights commission where we can get tips, but the police have not been giving anything to them. Mm-hmm. And now for the public and for our public officials, I'd like to say that there really is a degree of desensitization. There's already numbness in the discourse about the drug war. There isn't even any a lot of discourse here. I mean, the case of Vincent Adia was just one viral tweet and we covered it. It wasn't as intense as before. And even in his case, which is so brutal, People angry for a week, and then after that, they were they found other things to get angry about, like the president um, having a late night press conference and something the president said, and Vincent Adia was forgotten. I think there's a degree of desensitization into coming into 20, uh, 2021. I mean, there there's a lot of people who are already killed in the drug war, and I fear that the public and our public officials, um, I think see no point already in fighting for this. There aren't a lot of probes as compared to before. Public officials would call for probes, but now, for example, this brutal killing, it's not highlighted anymore. There are no calls for probes. For example, even the killing of Winston Ragos, when there were calls for a probe in his case, there weren't really any probes from the Senate, from the Congress, and it reaches their officials. No more Senate, no Congressional, and politicians don't even release as many statements as before. Mm-hmm. So, it's not just that, okay, it's not highlighted. People aren't really feeling anything and they're not showing it. If they're feeling anything about this issue, they're not showing it. Parang this could be like a product of fears of parang uh, Duterte like always saying in his speeches na wala siyang pakialam sa human rights and yung continuous resistance ng police sa accountability sa pag-admit that EJKs are are happening. Like, I remember, di ba, just last week, merong isang official na nagsabi during a press conference ata na EJKs are just false narratives perpetuated by critics or opposition. So, parang, may mga ganong discourse. Mm-hmm. Parang, and then, this is, there's this pandemic. 
parang it's inevitable talaga na ganito yung mangyayari. Pero would you say ba na at least meron pang glimmer or kahit sliver of hope na may chance ba na the police are ad- acknowledging na maybe may mga nagkamali sa mga patan. Like for example, kay Winston Lagos, nagkamali sila doon or sa mga other incidents. Their usual line of response to this judas is let the courts find out. Let mm. the prosecutors decide. Whatever they say, we will follow. This is a script that the PNP has already been saying. And and to add to what you already said earlier, there are already discourses, as you mentioned, about other topics. So the drug war is a pretty old discourse in the perspective of, you know, the decades of the Duterte administration in perspective. It feels such a long time. There are so many things that are talked about already. So it's from the news agenda, from what's being talked about generally, like red tagging, abuses in the lockdown. It was placed in the back seat. Hmm. And Lian, naman, Lian, just a look at your Twitter account, your Facebook account. Nakita mo talaga yung mga biggest points na nangyari sa beat mo eh. Parang sabi ko nga, if I just want to know ano yung highlights ng taon na to, I just look at Lian's Twitter, Instagram ko ano yung mga posts mo. Pero for you, ano yung coverage issue na pinakatumatak sa'yo ngayong taon? And of course, um, why, does it, why does the specific issue matter in the long run? It has got to really be the death of Baby River Nasino, because that's really an indictment of the shortcomings and the downfall, the loopholes, the gaps, everything, the sheer kakulangan ng justice system. It really made a mark on me, not because it was somebody's fault. Parang it was not overtly somebody's fault. Nobody wants a helpless baby to die. But that Baby River died, it's really a glaring indictment talaga yun na sobrang kulang. Sobrang kulang ng hustisya, sobrang kulang ng sistema, at sobrang kulang ng will, political will and innovation ng mga taong namumuno ng justice system. Mm-hmm. And that's not me saying it. That's the separate opinion of Justice Amy Lazaro Javier saying it. She said, quote, I believe we have a role to play in protecting the baby from adverse consequences that are not of the baby's own doing. She said that um, in an opinion of a decision that came when the baby has already died. And as Reina Maynasina's lawyers point out, there were a lot of laws to look at. There was the Breastfeeding Act. There was the the UN rules on the treatment of prisoners. There was uh, humanitarian considerations to look at. Sobrang dami mong pwedeng tignan para ma-ensure na mabuhay yung bata. And yet, nobody was able to do it from the jail officers, from the lower court judges, to the highest high of them all, the Supreme Court justices. It's an entire failure of the system. At kaya siya tumatak sa akin is, saan tayo magsisimula kung ganito yung problema? It's an innate problem na... Kasi hindi siya usapin ng, is it a drug addict? Is it a terrorist? Is it an activist that we hate? It's a baby. All of us are in agreement that we should save and protect the baby. Yet, nobody was able to save her. So, ibig sabihin, there's an innate wrong or merong innate na pagkukulang. All of us, the system, all of us. Why this had to happen? And includes the media also pakiramdam ko i i i feel like um the media has to take accountability for it also because if there's one thing i've seen in covering the justice beat is that there is a value in telling these stories because mm-hmm. 
prosecutors listen, judges listen, justices listen. I'm not saying that they can be influenced because the justice system naman stands on a principle that it will always be objective. But reality says they listen. They listen to stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like pati yon nagkulang, including me. So when I look back at the year that was, I will remember that we let down a helpless three-month-old baby who never got the chance to live the life she could have lived. And parang, as you mentioned that, I wanted to also ask you, kasi this year, parang ang dami na talagang arrest na activists. At the same time, maraming namatay na mga activists din, like uh-huh. in Zara Alvarez and Randa Letchanis. Uh, why do you think sobrang brazen ng incidents ito this year? Uh, parang, ito ba yung parang, you say kanina, peak ito. Pero what do you think are the factors na uh, if you look at what happened sa mga killings, sa mga arrests, what's behind all of this ba? Alam mo ako, I'm continue to be boggled because, you know, um, President Rodrigo Duterte claimed to be the first leftist president. We all remember the love affair, uh, the love affair between the left and President Duterte. So, I continue to wonder why the sudden change. We could have speculations about it. I mean, maybe President Duterte is really courting the military, which we know will never see eye to eye with activists and the left. So I continue to be boggled by it. Pero yung tanong mo, why it's brazen? Because para sa akin, it's a template that worked and maybe they feel like it will still work. Kasi tignan mo, sa drug war, they have to paint people as drug addicts Mm-mm. to justify the killing or to justify the crackdown. With politicians, same. They had to put them in narcolists to justify them being dead. The latest of whom is the mayor of Los Baños. And here, they have to paint activists as terrorists. They have to paint them as communists, even though it's not a crime to be a communist in this country. But you have to paint them as someone to be able to justify violating their human rights or oppressing them. And as you see the NPF LCAC engage in widespread red tagging, and maybe Rambo can also chime in, you will see that they have cheerleaders. Same as the police had cheerleaders during the drug war. The NTFLCAC has cheerleaders against the left because it's always going to be a complicated story and there's always going to be a love and hate relationship. And so why is it brazen? It's because it has support. Hindi natin alam kung gano'n pa kalakas yung support. Is it waning support? But that there is support. I think like a fuels their fuels the brazenness of how they do these crackdowns. Mm-mm. And you only uh, need to look at the budget given to the ELCAC, no? Like, billions compared mo sa other agencies na konti lang nagkihirap, lalo na may pandemia. But ibigay mo lahat ng pera sa ELCAC, you'll cease talaga yung priority ng government na to. May I point out also that the funding of NTF-ELCAC is very hard to audit because hindi siya, because it's a national task force created by an EO of the president. Hindi siya, yung funds hindi siya ilalagay sa NTF-ELCAC. Mm-hmm. Yung funds ilalagay siya kung sino yung mag implement ng project ng NTF-ELCAC. So, uh, for example, yung 
bulk of these projects were given to some LGUs. Yung parang yung whole funding na LGU. Tapos doon nila ilalagak. Tapos, pero naka-project yun sa NTFLCAC for their for their project. So, it has been pointed out in congressional hearings na ang hirap namang i-audit niyan kasi hindi natin alam kung saan natin hahanapin kasi wala rin naman tayong menu kung ano yung mga project niyo sa iba't ibang ahensya. So, how are we going to monitor this? And even the audit chief, the Commission on Audit Chairman, admits that because it's intelligence, mahirap i-audit. So, yeah. I just wanted to point that yeah. out. And also, isang highlight ng taon na to, like, sign talaga ng sobrang ayaw ng presidency the descent ay yung anti-terror law na in the middle of the pandemic na naghihirap yung mga tao, nahihirapan mag-budget ng kung ano-ano para sa government programs, pinasa at isinabatas yung anti-terror law na kinakatakot ng mga human rights groups and like, ang dami na. Uh, Lian, ano ba yung nakikita mo immediate effects nito ng anti-terror law at least in the first months na it was implemented? And can you also like talk to us about yung in the immediate aftermath, yung opposition na nakita, like, ang dami-daming pe- petitions that are filed against it. Yeah, um, so we have seen the first uh, charge under the anti-terror law. ITAS in Zambales were the very first ones charged under the anti-terror law. And in the context of the anti-terror law, but not using directly the anti-terror law, the rural missionaries of the Philippines composed of nuns have lost access to their bank accounts under the Anti-Terrorism Financing Act. So, those are the immediate effects. The lingering effects or the yung hovering over us effect is a fear. A fear to voice out your dissent because hindi mo alam kung ma-charge ka ba or ma-prosecute ka ba under the anti-terror law. And of course, you know, the government would tell you, wag ka na lang kasing gumawa ng masama kung ayaw mong makasuhan. But the thing about this law is, you don't know what it's criminalizing because of its vagueness. Mm-mm. 37 petitions headed by the best legal minds of the country, Supreme Court, retired Supreme Court justices um, behind it, constitutional framers, opposition leaders, lawmakers, journalists, Nuns, priests, religious leaders. Sino pa ba? Meron ding sundalo na nag-file? Oh, may mga social media personalities din. Yeah, people who do TikTok and do viral things on Twitter were propelled to the Supreme Court. And may I just add, the Integrated Bar of the Philippines as, as a whole, like the mandatory organization of all lawyers, the Philippine Bar Association, file their own file their own petitions and tumatak sa akin talaga yung linya dun sa petition ng IBP eh. sabi nila mahirap para sa mga abogado namin na magtanggol ng kliyente na ma-charge dito sa anti-terror law because of its vagueness imagine the mandatory organization of all Filipino lawyers saying that hindi namin alam kung paano namin ipagtatanggol ang mga taong ma-charge under the anti-terror law that's how scary it is so there is a dark cloud hovering all over us that makes a second guess what we want to say or what dissent we want to voice. And dun palang na-achieve na nila yung gusto nila, which is a chilling effect. And Rian, yung next question ko, I'm sure lagi mo ayaw na tinatanong ko sa'yo to tuwing nasa podcast kita. Uh, aside from the activists who wanted protection, ang dami ring members of the judiciary na namatay, may mga lawyers, prosecutors, even judges na pinatay this year. Uh, 
did the courts fall short this year? And do you think they'd be able to step up in 2021? In the context of the killings of the lawyers, uh, we have data that show out of the 54 lawyers killed, including prosecutors and judges, in 2016, only five have reached the courts. Magiging six na kasi may naaresto ng suspect sa pagkamatay ni Attorney Wee of Cebu City. Pero six out of 54, that's that's a dismal number. And uh, sabi sa atin ng DOJ, kaya lima lang or ani mga abot sa korte. The rest, hindi umaabot sa prosecutor level mismo. Mm-hmm. Kasi walang suspect. So, bab- saan stuck? Sa law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Sa police, maybe NBI, bakit walang nahuhuling suspect? They'd say, kasi ang hirap nga naman riding in tandem eh. Parang, san muhuhulihin? These ran- riding in tandem killings, these gun for hires, these planned assassinations, these have existed many years back. Hindi naman natin pwedeng gamitin yung excuse in 2020 na mahirap kasi i-crack tong kasong to eh because nakamaskara, nakamotor, walang witness, hindi mo alam, saan mo ahanapin? So, are we, are we saying that for as long as maganda yung pagkakaplano ng pagkamatay, we will never be able to bring justice to the person killed? So, I, I think, hindi na siya pwedeng excuse in 2020 to say it's a hard case to crack. That's why hindi na umaabot, pati sa mga prosecutor. There has got to be a better way in cracking these cases. So, can the court step up? Maybe the prosecutors also need to step up. The law enforcement needs to step up. So, lahat sila, buong the justice agencies, all of them have to step up. Yeah, since you mentioned the OJ kanina, I know parang hindi ko nasabi sa'yo previously to. Pero kamusta na yung pinapromise nilang uh, probe into the drug war killings? Diba, meron silang deadline no November na dapat may report. And then, they're also probing yung mga politically motivated killings. May update ba dun this year? I'm sorry to say, but wala. So, they have missed their November deadline for the drug war killings. They said it's gonna be in December. So, we continue to wait for that. The AO35 panel, which is supposed to look at the extrajudicial killings outside of the drug war, is also supposed to come out with the report by the year end. So, Ilan na lang ang meron sila. Um, ilang araw na lang ang meron sila minus the holidays. Yeah. And nakapag human rights summit pa sila. Meron pa silang ano, meron pa silang hinahawakan na mega task force. Mega on task corruption. force for corruption. So um you know, uh sila naman ang nag-commit nito, eh. it's not as if it's not as if we the people put them up put it upon them. They committed this. They committed this to the U- United Nations Human Rights Council and the United Nations Human Rights Council believed them. So, they have to show results and they have to show it very, very soon. I think in terms of accountability, Lian Rambo, I think it's safe to say na poplax from 2020 when it comes to accountability. As with every year. Yes. Sadly. Sadly, no. 
So, sobrang dami nangyari ngayong taon and first half pa lang yan ng podcast natin ang haba na and the thing may pandemic pa. But before we go into other details, let's take a short break and listen to some Rappler podcast overviews. May a lot of people, but not much a lot, but I know that there are some people who would happily use I'm Polyamorous label to basically justify anything. Mm-hmm. To justify sleeping around, to justify not committing, but that flies in the face naman of how we see it. It's my choice not to be a mother, but I'm not, it's not dissing on, mothers, dissing yeah. on motherhood, uh, about, on it's parenthood. It's like a purely person-to-person basis. Uh-oh. I'm Marguerite Leon, host of Rappler's I've Got an Opinion, where I speak to ordinary people who have a lot to say about extraordinary issues. Listen in every other Wednesday at 8 p.m. on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Next time, wag niya kung pariginigin ng revolution. Naku, Diyos ko. Yan ang mas delikado sa COVID. Kaya kung mag-revolution kayo, you will give me the free ticket to stage a counter-revolution. How I wish you would do it. Don't understand what President Rodrigo Duterte is saying? Want to know the story behind his words? Listen to Seat of Power, Rappler's political podcast about the Duterte presidency. Hosted by me, Piranada, Rappler's Malacanang Beat Reporter. Hello, welcome back to News Break Beyond the Stories. I am Judesca Villan and I'm here with Lian and Rambo. Uh, we've been talking about the killings, war on the sand, and the attacks on democracy in 2020. Siguro so Lian, Rambo, kahit sino mauna sa inyo, If 2020 showed something about the beat to cover the issues or made you realize something or may lessons learned, not just maybe for you, but maybe for the public, ano yung mga yun? Rambo, you want to go first? For me, I think it is really the case of Winston Ragos. Sinahirapan talaga akong pakawalan tong case ato. For our year ender in another beat, in another cluster, we really had to speak with people how their year was. And I was given the task to speak with his mother, Merlin Rago. So I spoke with her um, yesterday. And kinamusta ko siya, kamusta po kayo? Sabi niya, hirapang-hirapan daw siya. Naubusan na siya ng pag-asa. Hindi niya alam kung anong gagawin niya kasi hindi daw gumagalaw yung kaso ni Winston sa prosecutor. Tapos, nagugutom na raw siya kasi ubos na yung kanin na binigay sa kanya ng military. Hindi naman nakakapagpakain ng hero spurial. Ubos na ang kanyang pagkain, ang kanyang pamilya nagtatago ngayon sa pandemya, hindi makapagtrabaho. Tapos siya, 57 years old, kailangan niya magtrabaho bilang manikurista. Every two weeks, she goes to her clients only to earn a few hundreds, hundreds of pesos para makakain siya and yung konting alaga niya na anak ng kanyang mga anak sa bahay. Wala si Winston, wala ng pera. At the thing that also strikes me the most about this case is her fighting for the case of Winston Ragos doesn't really amount to any material gains. Kung nanalo siya sa kaso, wala siya matatanggap ng pera. Makakatanggap ng pera ay yung pamilya ni Winston. Pero si Merlin Ragos yung mismo lumalaban sa kaso ni Winston, pumunta daw siya mismo sa prosecutor's office, pero nakakausap lang niya ay gwardiya. This is such a big picture of how the justice system is failing us, how the law enforcement agencies are failing us, and what more the people whom the Philippine National Police vowed to protect to serve. Kasi nga, dito sa kaso ni Winston Ragos, ang kumuha sa anak ni Merlin Ragos, kung tatandaan natin, ay isang policeman. At walang tumutulong sa kanyang policeman kasi nga, ang pumatay ay ang police. Wala na siya natanggap na na apology sa police, wala natanggap na ayuda sa police, kahit sa local government, wala. Military, naka, nakatanggap daw siya ng tulong, pero nahihiya na daw siyang humingi 
ng tulong sa militar kasi binigyan na daw siya ng isang sako ng bigas sapat na raw yun. At ang sobrang nakaka sa lang sa akin dito sa kasong to ay I, I vaguely remember how inflamed we were on this case. How social media was a fire on those few days when this happened. But then the help that arrived to Merlin Ragos and her family, kakarampot lang. Ubus na. At ngayon, hindi niya alam kung sulit pa ba ipaglaban yung hostisya para kay Winston. Yan. I, I think I have to take a few seconds to take that all in, no? Yung sinabi na Rambo. Feeling ko that's also an indictment of us as people. There, the system's failure is our failure. Um, but going on the same thread, mahirap para sabihin sa akin to because I cover the justice beat. And on better days, I will join the chorus of people, of lawyers, who will say that there is a lot to celebrate about the justice system. That justice, even though how, kahit na matagal mong paghirapan, kahit pa mahirapan ka para makuha to, that justice matters in the end. On better days, I will join that chorus because on better days, I believe that. But on bad days, especially after just hearing the story of the mother of Winston Ragos, I would say that, yeah, the just, justice sometimes is really not the gift or the good thing that it's made out to be. Alam yung nakakapagod sumigaw para sa hustisya when you know that what does it entail ba? Um, I'm reminded of that last November when we marked the 11th anniversary of the Ampatuan massacre. And it's been a year since there were guilty verdicts. I remember last year, 2019, after the guilty verdicts were handed out, one of the widow of the journalists who died was awarded, as you know, 100 of thousand damages. So she called me and said, Ma'am, magtatanong lang ako ah. Tingin mo po kaya aabot po yung danyos para sa pasukan. Kung hindi man po sa pasukan, baka mas may aaga pa dahil kailangan na po ng anak ko. At um, yung tuition kailangan na rin. I was stumped because I didn't have the heart to tell her that you're not gonna be able to get those damages right now and maybe not in a few years. Kasi paano mo sa kanila i-explain yun? How do you explain to a widow who had to raise a baby all by herself because her husband died, fought in trial for 10 years, lost all that, diba? parang were threatened, lost their livelihood. And then, yung pinapangakong hustisya na, ito na, ito na. Hustisya, guilty verdict. You are awarded hundreds of thousands in damages, but oops, sorry, because the justice system says you can only be entitled to damages if the conviction has been affirmed probably all the way to the Supreme Court, which may take how many years? Sobrang daming taon. And then, going through from that year to this year, I have kept in touch with some of the orphans. And I have um, been middleman to their donors. Yung mga patuloy na tumutulong sa kanila para makapag-aral, para makapagpagamot. Tapos dumating tayo sa November of 2020, 
hustisya pa rin yung sigaw. Parang kailan ba tayo hihintong sisigaw para sa hustisya? And that's very jarring for me. And I hate to be saying this on this podcast because I don't want to be the, alam mo yun, ayoko yung maging downer mm-hmm. para sa justice system because sabi ko nga on better days, I really celebrate little wins and there are a lot to be There are a lot to celebrate about the system. There are good lawyers, there are good judges, there are very good laws. And there are fights worth fighting for. Pero ang dali kasi para sabihin sa akin yun eh, because I'm a journalist writing these stories and it gives me a, gives me a reason to celebrate. Maybe it's also good, it's also easier for the lawyers to say it because that's their win. Pero paano naman yung biktima? What does justice amount to? That's that's really a burning question that I guess I will never be able to answer. And as you're saying, that it's like one injustice is already too much. Yeah. But moving forward, naman for 2021, siguro let's talk about our your hopes and worries, and siguro yung pinaka realistic na tingin yung mga yare. Uh, umpisa tayo sa hopes. Umpisa tayo kay Rambo siguro. Rambo, uh, what do you hope to happen in 2021? And I'm at that point where I really am not hoping because every year when we talk about what do we look forward to the next year, fellow journalists, we hope and we hope, but then we end up being disappointed so much that we get burnt out where we get so stressed from our beats. So as much as I say, I hate to say this, I really am not hoping anything. I mean, it's the lead up to the election year. I mean, there can be any action, anything can happen, but I don't want to hope for anything just to set myself up for failure. Ian? Uh, well, first of all, I'm looking now at the latest data of the Joint Task Force COVID Shield. And this is a data that I've obsessed over the past few months kasi so thousand, by the thousands yung inaresto nila for quarantine violators at isang libo, na-stuck sa isang libo yung yung continued to be detained even though these were bailable cases. Uh, I'm glad to see that as of November 14, this is dated kasi sabi nga ni Rambo, baka hindi na sila nagpatuloy mag-keep ng data because nag-iba yung chief. But as of November 14, 363 na lang ang still detained. That's still a lot. That's still a lot. 363 is one too many. But I'm glad that it has gone below 1,000. So yun yung hope ko sana ngayon palang palayain na nila ang 363 because there there is no reason there is no legal reason at all why these 363 remain in jail because quarantine violation is a bailable case and there's going to be the oral arguments of the anti-terror law on January 19 and I join the wish of all petitioners and all Filipinos that There could be a TRO even before oral arguments or soon after oral arguments because there's really a need to stop the law from being implemented. Sigurly, and if we were in our previous podcast, I would ask you, ano yung tingin mo mga yari sa anti-terror law na yan sa harap ng korte? Pero I'd save that for the next podcast na kasi I'm sure you'll answer na hindi mo kayang sagutin yun. <laughs> Tama ba ako? Oo, oh, oo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Pero yun naman, now, what do you think ang worst case scenario? Kasi I know we can, I'm confused like, should we even call it a worst case scenario? Kasi baka yun yung pinaka-realistic na mangyari. 
ano yung tingin yung worst case scenario for 2021, Lian? The anti-terror law being upheld because that is gonna pave the way for more massive and more repressive crackdown on the centers. And, you know, if these target, this really targets the centers, it targets lawyers, journalists, and what kind of a democracy would we have if there is this fear and there is this immense threat on anyone who voices anything? For me, I mean, it sounds too abstract. You mean a law being upheld? Is this the worst thing that can happen? From my point of view, it is. Mm-mm. Rambo? To add to that, I, I guess just to expand on my answers later, I really don't want to also set up ourselves and our listeners for failure if we expect so much. Even here, in the worst case scenario, I'd, I'd want to say something that, okay, this, this might happen, this might happen. But then the thing about this administration is that you can imagine something and they, they can find something to make it worse. There's so many things that happened this year, the closure of ABS-CBN, the killings, the statements, everything that comes out of the president's mouth, they would surprise you. So even if I say, okay, this might happen, I completely agree with Leanne, yung anti-terror law might be upheld, but that's just in January. And there are 11 other months, and that can lead to so many things, so many abuses, so many words that come out of the mouth of the president, so many things that 200,000 strong Philippine National Police might do under a new police chief. The Bolsinas will retire in May. There, there's, a, there's room for another police chief for Duterte to pick. And as we all know, it's an election year. Yeah. Violence, violence really spikes before the election year comes. We can expect that, but I don't know what the worst is to come. Even if we know that the statistics will come higher, we don't know the brutality of these killings might come up parang the uncertainty of things in the context of what's happening in the past four years is scary, no? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, for my last question, if you want to at least make 2021 a good year in terms of activism and the overall situation of democracy, siguro good year is, the good year is a bad word to describe it, pero at least improve from what happened now, at least things that we can control. What do you think the public should do? Or at least come for from the government? Uh, I'd like to start. And uh, I really want to emphasize yung sinabi rin kanila Lian. It's a really strong point that I also agree with um, personally, deeply, that in all the injustices that we see, in everything wrong that we see in the society that might be innate, things that we see at the surface, we're all implicated in this. Look at yourself. What can you do? And look at the community that you can influence. I mean, if I want to be petty and very blunt, get out of Twitter and start organizing. Personal condemnation is momentary. It's just a fleeting moment of flames. But then once it's gone, it doesn't really feed the people you're concerned about. It doesn't really deliver justice to the people who are experiencing injustices. It's just in the social sphere, on social media, it might just be performative. You have to do it outside of social media. Organize. It does not push the movement forward. It is not opinion that moves mountains. It's actions. I, I really want people to to channel the outrage because thousands of, I mean, there are thousands of trends that have happened in Twitter every, this year alone. Um, and there are so many calls for this, for that, but it hasn't amounted to anything substantial. Can we do it outside of our own bubbles? Can we, can we bridge with people whom we, we might not agree with to bridge the gaps, to understand each other? What can we do? How are we implicated in this? 
and even journalists, this is something that we have to look 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 and examine, as Lian said. And this is something that I am also grappling with. How am I implicated? How can I get out of this rut? Mm-hmm. Very, very brilliantly said. Uh, I don't know how to follow that, but just to attempt to add to it, I. This is something that I personally do know. Take a moment to reflect on the shortcomings of your own actions and the wrong things you might have done. Because we might be stuck in a in an endless loop of. Nagaginagawa ko naman to eh. Nagagawa ko naman to eh. Alam mo yun, yung parang you acknowledge that you're doing something and yung gobyerno mo yung walang ginagawa or yung iba yung walang ginagawa. If all of us are doing enough, bakit hindi tayo nag-move forward? I'll try to explain it further. Like for example, journalism. If we continue to say that journalists, Filipino journalists have done all they can. Lahat ginagawa natin. And we should just keep on doing things as we have. There's really nothing that will change because as we do it, we are continued to be attacked. We are shut down. We are thrown out of our coverages. We, lo- we, we lose jobs. So, feeling ko magsisimula yan sa ano yung mga hindi pa natin nagagawa? Ano yung mga mali natin ginagawa? So we can recalibrate. And siguro every person, whichever sector they belong to, whichever community they belong to, should start thinking that way. Hindi yung may ginagawa ako, sila yung kulang. No, lahat tayo may kulang. So start self-reflecting and ask what can be done more, what can be done better, and what can be done differently because the enemies are getting creative by the day. You should be too. So on that note, napakahaba ng taon na to and like na-reflect nga ng haba ng podcast na to, no? And yet, parang haba pa rin ang tatahakin natin. Two years into the next election, next year's election campaign season and we don't know what will happen. But we are hoping like kahit na what's around us or the existing situation is against it. Now, we hope 2021 brings better days to the Philippines. Ano? So, thank you, Rambo and Lian, for joining me today and for joining our previous podcast episodes. Lagi ko kayong guests, dalawa, separate or together. And you always delivered very nakasunog na mga uh, insights on the situation ng human rights, justice, activism, and dissent in the Philippines. We hope to have an episode soon where we can just talk about happy things. <laughs> We Hopefully. Hope, hope, sana, sana in 2021 or 2022 kung sino mamauna. Uh, thank you listeners for tuning in. If you would like to be updated on this and other issues, huwag kalimutan na i-follow ang Rapper and Newsbreak sa Facebook, pati na rin sa Twitter. Kung gusto mo naman na-access to exclusive content and events, you can join Rapper Plus. Uh, plus is a community na nag-discuss tayo and get deeper insights to the issues we face today. Pwede ka sumali by visiting rapper.com slash plus. Kung meron ka namang gusto na topic na you think we should discuss in our podcast, email us at investigative at topper.com. Again, I'm Judas Gavilan and this is Newsbreak Beyond the Stories.